0: to the Christian life than going to church and reading your Bible. If you've ever wondered just how involved God is in your everyday life, then you've come to the right place. Join me, Pastor Tom Marsis, and Vicar Jason Com as we take an in-depth look at applying the scriptures to our daily lives, to the Ten Commandments, baptism, the Lord's Prayer, and more. Welcome to Living the Faith. Living the Faith, episode 19, Buying Us Back. My name is Pastor Tom a senior pastor of Zion Lutheran Church. And I'm Vicar Jason Kahn. And we're glad that you're with us as we continue looking at the second article, of the Apostles' Creed. This is the second part. We continue to look at Jesus Christ and how he's redeemed us from all our sins. And uh, interestingly enough, now follow with me, his state of humiliation and exaltation. Now, if you don't exactly know what that means, don't worry, we'll get there. Uh, There's some important things that we need to explain exactly what that means, because it'd be easy to misunderstand, but humiliation and exaltation. With that in mind, let's get started here. We're going to look at, first and foremost, as Jesus as Redeemer. Now, this whole idea of redeeming, what exactly are we talking about, Jason, as we're talking about redeem.
1: Well, the confirmation answer that all of our students here at Zion would say is that to redeem something means to buy it back. That's all it means, just to buy something back. So the illustration I like to give is a gift card. If you show up at a store with a gift card for it, you present the card, and voila, it just magically pays however much money it promises to pay. So 10, 15, 25 bucks, whatever. And so to say that Jesus is our Redeemer... It means that he has bought us back from sin, fully paying the price that we owed God because of our sin. And, you know, Jesus obviously didn't use any sort of gift card, but we confess that he offered himself as the sacrifice, his entire self, in, in a very real and literal way. So his blood, his suffering, and his death on that cross, that was what was necessary to pay the price of our Sins. It took the shedding of his blood, suffering leading up to the cross and his death upon it in order to fully cover the price for our sins before God. Well, you know,
0: this buying back, uh, I'd like you to think, you know, families at the time of a death... Uh, do not always think straight. And so uh, there was an example one time where uh, one of the sons kept all his tools and he loved to do machine work in his father's uh, shop in the back Well his father passed away. And uh, everybody insisted, well, whatever was in the shop belonged to them. So they had an auction sale. Uh, and unfortunately, the son wasn't able to get his things back. He had to go to the auction sale to buy his own tools back so he could have them. So, I mean, he, they were the tools were his, but to get them back, he had to go to the auction, make a bid, and buy them back. And uh, in a sense, that's the same way, and think of it this way, in creation, God made us all. And yet sin has destroyed that relationship between us, and so he— bought us back. And that's where Jesus comes into it.
1: And it also completely puts salvation in God's hands. He takes salvation out of our hands. because There's nothing we can do to pay for our own sins. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves righteous before God. And so God took that into his own hands and offered up his son to do all the work himself. The way I like to think of it is that grace alone means that God does it all. It means that he does 100% of the work and he did that work through Jesus. And so by redeeming us from our sins, Jesus has saved us from our three great enemies, from sin, from death, and from the power of the devil. And like I was saying, those are powers that we cannot overcome on our own. We can't resist Satan's temptations on our own. We can't raise ourselves from the dead, and we can't stop sinning on our own. It's just not possible. And because it was impossible, and because God loves us, he made it possible to be saved. He did the impossible by taking all of our sins, putting them on his son, and then obliterating them through his own death. And even better, Jesus raised himself from the dead, securing our own victory over death too. Um, So even though he went through all that misery, um, it did not overcome him. But in fact, the exact opposite. He overcame all sin, all death, and all the power of the devil. And so in calling Jesus our redeemer, we confess that it's finished. that the price has been paid. And that's not something that God can mess up. You know, he can't mess up our salvation. It's just done through Jesus and we can rejoice confidently.
0: Well, the question that really goes with it then is why would God do this? Because after all, the entire human race was under this condemnation or judgment because of sin. Uh, you would think that as the creator of all, He would be like, really, I did this for you. I gave you all of this. And this is how you repay me. I mean, the rebellion of Adam and Eve, uh, you know, it's very interesting as you read those opening chapters of Genesis, you know, uh, Adam, well, the woman that you gave me. And then, of course, Eve says, well, it's the serpent's fault, you know, and it just it, it sounds so modern in the sense that it's never our fault. It's always somebody else's fault. And so you blame them and then they blame them. And, and again, uh, that gets into what we talked about earlier, this uh, original sin, the sin that we we're born with. But in acknowledging this original sin, how often we want to just blame everybody else except nothing on ourselves. And with that backdrop, why would
1: God do this? A common reaction that I get at the Dakota Boys and Girls Ranch when I'm talking about uh, the sin of Adam and Eve and how that curse has sort of bled through to all of humanity, Uh, they kind of balk at a statement like that. And they say, what? Some sin that two people did a long time ago means that I have this sin too? That's not fair. And then I'll say, well, yeah, but look at the world around you. like." this world is full of sin and brokenness. Like it's, it's everywhere. And also if God really treated us fairly, I wouldn't be here to share any good news with you today. Like I wouldn't be telling you about the love of Jesus and what he's done on the cross. If God, you know, played everything fairly um, and giving us fully what we deserve there, there would be no salvation. Um, But God did act justly against sin And Jesus took the fall for us. He took the punishment for us. So God didn't just do away with the punishment entirely, but he put it all on Jesus to bear that punishment for us. So we see that God does act justly in that sense. Um, But in the way, like the gospel itself isn't fair. That's not God treating us fairly because we don't deserve any of the good things that he gives to us, but he loves us. That's the beauty of the gospel. Um, And so we have a God that has compassion on us. And that literally means, I believe we've talked about this before, either earlier in living the faith or maybe in last year's trek through the scriptures, but um, to have compassion on someone means really to suffer with them. So think about how Jesus fulfills this literally. He took on human flesh, as we talked about last time in his incarnation, and experienced human life like even the most painful parts of human life he went through. And he really did suffer as we suffer in every way. And he overcome it because he's not just a human, but he's also true God and can do things that only God can do, like overcome sin and death and the devil. Um, and so God was promising to send Jesus to us all the way back in Genesis chapter three, right after that fall into sin, he promised to send someone that would crush Satan's head, um, And then we see God pointing to Christ many, many, many more times all throughout the Old Testament um, through the prophets and, uh, you know, the first five books of the Old Testament as well. It all points to the work that Jesus did on earth and on the cross for you and me. Well, it builds
0: off of this. Genesis chapter three really sets the direction tone for the rest of the Old Testament because all of it is leading to and pointing to what we find in the life death and resurrection of Jesus. And so the whole old Testament is pointing to what this savior, this Messiah, this promise that is made by God at this point uh, to bring salvation, redemption, as we've been talking about. And so, right away third chapter the entire old testament all right here it is and it's pointing all the way to him coming back and so as we move into this now and if you're at all familiar with the apostles creed um, the next section we want to talk about is the humiliation and exaltation and it's taken directly from the apostles creed if you want to check in the uh, extra material in our website zionbismarck.org Uh, We will have uh, the Apostles' Creed and some other information related to this uh, so that you can see that. Uh, But the first that we want to talk about is humiliation. And as we get started here, it's important to understand that when we talk about Jesus' humiliation, we're not saying that Jesus was humiliated. I mean, in in this life, uh, you uh, talk about somebody poorly, you make fun of them in front of everybody, you're humiliating them. But here, when we're talking about humiliation, we're talking about Jesus setting aside his godly nature. He humbles himself so that he is no longer uh, using, referencing, in a sense, his godly nature, uh, being both God and man. He sets it aside by his own choice. So this humbling himself, and that's really, as we get into this first section, that's what we mean by humiliation, not humiliate humiliation. And there's a big difference there.
1: And it's probably good for us to draw a distinction between the two different states that Jesus lived in while on earth, his humiliation and exaltation, and also his two different natures. Those are two different concepts. We talked about the two natures of Christ in last week's episode, how Jesus is both true God and true man. Um, But that's not That's not what we're talking about this week now. We're talking about his two different states that he lived in. So with his state of humiliation, uh, this first state, this descends toward his death. And his burial. And so you know that at a certain point in time in human history, Jesus was conceived inside the Virgin Mary. And this is like the first moment that he is actually a human. And so before this, we know that he reigned with God the Father. He was with God the Father. We know Jesus has always been around. We also talked about that last week. God made all things through him. And so he was in this state of glory. And at that point in time, he left the glory beside to become a human, to still be God. But to become a human as well. And it's at that point where he starts to just like descend closer and closer to death through suffering in his life. So next, we know that he was born in these humble circumstances. He was born uh, in a manger, not in a palace like he deserved, but in an animal feeding trough. And so now Jesus is a a born human in this world. And as he grows older, he starts to suffer in many ways. Like every human suffers, Uh, he gets hungry and tired. He's tempted by the devil. He feels grief and sorrow by losing loved ones. He gets lonely and more and everything, actually. There's no one that can relate to our suffering more than Jesus himself. Um, And then that suffering culminates with his torture and crucifixion on the cross, and that was not something that he deserved at all. Um, Being the only perfect, sinless human who had ever lived, Jesus was the only human that deserved to live, that did not deserve to die, Um, but that's the treatment he got anyway. Um, And then his state of humiliation ends with him dying and being being buried in a borrowed tomb. And so kind of we see this state of humiliation is all about Jesus leaving the glory of heaven and then descending down closer and closer to death. And once he dies, that's we think of that as rock bottom. Once he's buried in the tomb, um, that's the worst of it. And so this state of humiliation is a great comfort to us because Jesus experienced human life and misery in every way. It wasn't enough for God to know about our suffering. He had to live through it himself. And that's why he sent Jesus um, to understand and really know and experience and feel what we know and experience and feel.
0: Well, and the exaltation then is going up towards him, whereas the humiliation is working this down to his ultimate death. Uh, the exaltation is building up. And, uh, he, and it's important to understand here on the cross, he said, it is finished. Uh, The work that he needed to complete was was done. So when we talk about he descended into hell, that's part of his exaltation. Why? He didn't go there to be punished. He went there to declare his victory over death and the grave. And so I I know it's oftentimes confusing because you think, okay, he died, then he went to hell and made some more payment, get out. Nope going into hell, descending into hell is clearly a part of his exaltation because he's going as the king of kings to declare his victory over death and the devil and not there to suffer. His suffering was done on the cross, not in uh, the tomb, not in uh, hell. And so he's there to to, uh, profess the victory that is his, to declare that victory. And again, he rises from the dead. Uh, He does the rising, not Someone else does the rising to him, like he raised Lazarus from the dead, the widow's son, those kind of things. But he rose himself, and then there is thousands, actually, that he appears to. It's much more than we often uh, think about, but he, he appears to many. And not just the 12, not just two or three, but to many, he appears. And so that's very important. Then ultimately, no, 40 days after uh, the resurrection, he ascends into heaven. It's on a Thursday, because it's 40 days out. And again, he goes up into the clouds, goes up to be with his, his Lord.
1: And he sits at the right hand of the father in heaven. Uh, we don't really use that kind of talk uh, in today's language, but uh, back then, if you say that you're sitting at someone's right hand, it means that uh, you're in charge, you're ruling over everything. Um, and so Jesus has that position of authority. Now, if we think back to Matthew chapter 28, toward the very end, he says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so God entrusts his entire creation to Jesus to rule over um, and then last of all, and this is our great hope as Christians, Jesus will return to earth someday to judge all the living and the dead. That is everybody. Um, so everybody who has ever lived will be resurrected and they will all see the risen Lord Jesus there. And those who believe that he is their savior, they will be saved. And so we have nothing to worry about. We look forward to that day, knowing that that is the day that Jesus completes our salvation, that he secured for us in his death and resurrection. And so Jesus' exaltation, this state of exaltation, is also of a great comfort to us because we see that even though he suffered and even though he died, he also triumphed over it and beat all evil powers and continues to rule for our sake. He's still in control, still very much alive and very much at work in this world.
0: And as you do that, one of the ways to understand this uh, humiliation is like a set of steps going down and the exaltation, a set of steps going up. Now, on a podcast, that, what is exactly is he talking about? Uh, well, that's where it, uh, this extra information that we have on our website will be helpful to you. But as you go through the Apostles', Cre- uh, Apostles Creed, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under by was crucified, died, and was buried. Think of that as all steps going down. Down, and then descended into hell and then all the way up, then that, those steps are going up. And we'll have that chart for you on our website so you can exactly see that. That's something that we use uh, with our confirmation uh, students. It's a way for them to visually see what we're talking about as we read and as we profess the Apostles' Creed on a Sunday morning and in worship. And so j- just note that that's one of those ways to understand humiliation, going down to death, exaltation coming up into heaven from there.
1: And like Pastor Mars has just said, everything that we went through with his humiliation and exaltation, that is virtually just the second article of the Apostles' Creed. I mean, really, that's all it is. And so next time you're in worship, next time we're saying the Apostles' Creed together, try and see if you can point out, okay, this is where his state of humiliation starts. And this is where a state of exaltation starts. It's a good exercise. Um, But we want to circle back to saying that this is simply who Jesus is and what Jesus does. That's how we prefaced the Apostles' Creed to begin with, who God is and what God does. And so these two states show us the love of our Savior through his identity and his actions, who he is and what he does. And he is our redeemer. He has bought us back. He has freed us from all the powers of evil and sin in the world, and nothing can stop him because he beat all of it and is just unstoppable
0: well hopefully as you do your readings this coming week and uh, respond to the reflection questions and think about some of this related to Jesus humiliation his exaltation this whole concept of redeeming or buying us back hopefully this has been a little helpful to you uh, be reminded that the questions and reflect and readings are found every day on our social media platforms uh, Facebook Twitter Instagram uh, on on our website we have the whole month uh you can download that in a pdf uh, but there are these questions that reflect upon our understanding of exaltation humiliation but most importantly as we do the second part of the uh, second part of the second article of the apostles creed uh his Jesus Christ as Redeemer. So please note that. With that in mind, we hope that this has been helpful for you and that, wish the Lord's blessings upon your study this week. And we hope to be able to visit with you again next week as we continue looking at the second article of the Apostle's Creed. Lord's blessings.
1: Thanks for joining us on our Living the Faith podcast this week. This podcast is a ministry of Zion Lutheran Church in Bismarck, North Dakota contact us, learn more, or for more resources on our journey this year, please visit zionbismarck.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or YouTube. This podcast was made possible by a grant from Lutheran Church Extension Fund. We thank them for their support. Please join me in prayer as we begin our new week. Blessed Lord, you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn and inwardly digest them that by patience and comfort of your holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life through jesus christ your son our lord who lives and reigns with you in the holy spirit one god now and forever amen thanks again for listening tune in next time as we continue learning how god's truth in the scriptures applies to our daily life god bless your reading this week